your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio, as is the case every Monday this season, is my good buddy, Cam Sharon. Cam, what's going on, man? Hi, Dmitry. It's great to be here. I love hearing that music. It's a highlight of my week. It's a great way to start. I'm glad I'm glad we kept it going this season. Um, so here's the plan for today. The Monday tradition, we're picking a team, we're deep diving them. It's going to be a team that's caught our eye recently that allowed us to go back, watch the tape, combine it with the numbers, and talk about what they've been doing well, how they've been winning this week. We're going to try to keep the vibes going. The vibes have been incredibly good so far this season, right? We've done the Buffalo Sabres. We've done the New Jersey Devils. This week, we're going to do the Seattle Kraken. A deep dive indeed. So, dare I say, the best hockey team in the Pacific Northwest? Is that is that a fair fair claim based on the first month of the season? Well, they're, they're certainly in the top two, and th- probably the first. And not, and not number two? <laughs> yeah. So, they're 7-4-2 and two on the year with a plus-five goal differential, both of which are top ten in the league. This season, these are the wins that they've accrued. They've beaten the Avs, the Kings, the Flames, the Wild, our Sabres, and the Penguins twice recently. They've rattled off four consecutive wins and now head home for a six-game homestand. And so I thought this was as good a time of any as if we're going to do a, a Seattle Kraken deep dive as we keep going through this Monday tradition. I felt like this was probably a pretty good time because the vibes are pretty good with this team. And they're finally scoring a bunch of goals and winning a bunch of games. Yeah, and I think... I think what's funny too is they've kind of uh, they've kind of caught the Penguins at the start of their uh, little their little run or, of malfeasance. Or they've helped expedite that process. Yeah. So I don't know. It's been funny, kind of watching. Uh, I watched both those Kraken Penguins games and just kind of how how both teams reacted to that, especially that two one win by the Kraken in uh, in Seattle. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago now, where that just kind of started the Penguins. Uh, you know, kind of took away from their their whole vibe. Well, this is this is a cracking deep dive. Yeah. So I don't know why, I, I, why you keep yeah. citing the Pittsburgh Penguins. For yeah. this, but but yeah, I think it's uh, what I've noticed is that they've had a lot of success winning these types of close games, mm. and they're they've never quite been out of any games uh, this right. season. And I don't think that was really the case for them last year. And we can kind of get into like how sustainable this is, or we cannot, because I know you like the vibes. Well, let's keep the vibes good. Yeah, but. You know, they, they've won, uh, especially, you know, that, that comeback game, winning games the Flames. They scored the late winner. They had the late winner in Pittsburgh on Saturday night. We don't know how, you know, how much longer they're going to be able to keep this going, but just the fact that they're there and hanging around till the very end, picking up those points. Here's what I say is an encouraging sign here. Mm-hmm. Right before we started recording, we were talking exactly about that Flames game. And I was like, oh, that was the game they went down big, right? And then you were like, no, well, it was 4-2. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well... If they had gone down 4-2 in that type of setting on the road last year, that probably would have been an insurmountable deficit. It felt like just because the idea of scoring three goals in the third period and scoring five overall for the game would have seemed like a very uphill task for that group. And I think, too, if this was their first year, if this was their inaugural season, their inaugural season, sorry, we would probably be a lot more confident about their ability to kind of stay in the playoff race and actually like make the playoffs. Like I think that they, you know, they're obviously right in the mix. It's only 13 games in, but they're, you know, they're right there so far. If this were last year, we'd be a lot more confident. But just seeing, you know, knowing that we don't really know how their defense and goaltending is going to hold up over the, yeah, you know, the remaining seven eighths of this season. They have one year of existence. Yeah. In this universe, and they already have a lot of baggage. Just yeah. that's how bad last year was in that regard. Yeah, and you know, Martin Jones doesn't have that baggage, and he's been playing uh, some great hockey for them. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. 
a lot was made last year of that goaltending, right? And I think deservedly so. They committed $46 million to Philip Grubauer and Chris Rieger over the offseason. And what they got for it was 37th ranked save percentage. I think those two guys combined to give up 40 more goals against than expected. Did you say 37th out of 32 teams? It might. I, I meant 32nd, but that's how bad they were. Yeah. They were the 37th out of 32 teams in the league. Yeah. And listen, that was catastrophic. And I think especially like you have to note how demoralizing a lot of those goals against were. were. Like they led the league in giving up goals on the first shot they faced. I think they did so 12 times. Like mm. it just felt like they'd start games down one nothing. And there was no confidence that they would actually get any saves from those guys. The other, the funny thing too, is I, I know that you had that stat in this bag and you were going to bring it up. Yeah. I actually looked at how many goals they allowed in the first minute. They were actually like league average in that respect, which show, which goes to show how they didn't often give up shots in the first minute. Right. These are, these are shots that they're giving up three or four minutes into the game off the first, off the first that their goalie sees. And all of a sudden, you know, they're down one, nothing. Through no fault of their own, they're they're up four one five one on the shot clock. Well, that must be such a that almost makes it worse in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You come out of the gate like three four consecutive yeah. good shifts. You've got the puck in the offensive zone. You haven't given anything up. You're feeling good about yourself. You're like, mm-hmm. all right, we're off the, on the right track. And then yeah. the other team comes in the offensive zone, finally gets a shot, scores. It's like, oh, we're down. Yeah, that, that makes it worse in a way to me. And I don't know, you know, I think the goaltending is obviously at fault. I saw Philip Grubauer allow a lot of pucks he shouldn't have last season, right. but I also think it wasn't really a great environment to be in i thought that they were pretty poor at defending in transition there were a lot of uh there, there was a, just a lot of open space to kind of work uh, where the opposition was allowed to work in the offensive zone i certainly knew uh when when you know last year when i would have been with the leafs and uh, w- watching those games how just how it didn't seem like there was any sort of defensive pressure on on our attacking players and that might, might just be you know fooled by randomness and you're seeing the results as opposed to the process, but that, you know, I, I, I refuse to believe that Philip Grubauer could just be this really good goalie in Denver and then all of a sudden move to Seattle and just, you know, well, I think it was a, a, a yet another yeah. example of how important environment and surroundings are for goalies. Yeah. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He wasn't like, he wasn't as good as he was in Colorado. He wasn't as bad as he showed last year. He was probably in between. Yeah. But the point I was trying to make here was regardless of your mileage on how much better you expect him to be this year, like they brought in Martin Jones, I guess, as their backup, and he's performed actually pretty well for them so far in the past couple of games, especially with Grubauer out. Mm-hmm. But considering how much they had financially invested in Grubauer, yeah, there was no, they couldn't have entered this past offseason with any sort of plan of, all right, this is how we're going to fix our goaltending. You almost have to ride it out and hope that yeah. he bounces back to at least league average or not 32nd, 37th ranked in, in save percentage out of 32. And so instead, what they did, and I think this was shrewd on their part, was they they realized that, all right, for all the talk about how bad our goaltending has been, we were almost just as bad offensively. And I, I believe they were 28th mm. in scoring across all situations. They were 27th in shooting percentage as a team. And yes, it makes sense when you look at the players they picked and how they went about their expansion draft process. They didn't have necessarily elite talent, especially up front, where they'd be able to score at a high rate. But I think that was kind of an under-talked-about part of their issues last year. It was so easy to latch on to Grubauer and how many goals they were giving up that that you know were the fault of the defense. But they weren't able to provide any sort of real run support, and that was a big issue. And that's why this offseason they focused so many of their resources and efforts into trying to fix that. 
And I think that was a smart plan of theirs. Yeah, and I also think that there was a lot of issues with lineup continuity as well. It felt like every game Dave Haxel was running out just a different group of forwards every single time. I don't think they had a single three-man combination in terms of a forward line that played 200 515 minutes together last season. And it seems pretty hard to do. I think they already do they already have two so far this year like No, I mean they have two they have like two yeah. that are already over 100 10, yeah. 10 games in or whatever so they're going to certainly get there. Yeah, they've really um, stuck with those with the Beniers line and the Wenberg line and we're going to talk about those two well, in a bit. Ha- having better forwards yeah. I, I think you know part of it yeah. having better forwards makes it easier to stick with those lines. I think that that helps Dave Haxall not that I'm the biggest fan of Dave, Dave Haxall's coaching uh, acumen but I I think having better personnel certainly factors into that. I should uh, qualify that I don't share, you know, as an ex-coworker of Dave Hawks, oh, of I don't, uh, I don't share that, well, that uh, view. Well, I don't I, want to endorse it. No, I, I think it was a yeah. fair. I think it was a yeah. fair question. Last time we saw him as a head coach in the NHL mm-hmm. when he was running the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, they were one of the most point-shot-heavy offenses in the league. Then he was an assistant coach for the Leafs, where the Leafs were, I believe, the least point-shot-heavy offense in the league. Yeah, and then he went to Seattle last year, and I have the stat for you. Okay, thirty-eight percent of their 5-on-5 shot attempts as a team came from a defenseman, yep. which I believe was top five in terms of the highest marks. This year, they're already down to 32%, which is kind of like where you want to be, I think. Closer middle of the to, pack? Yeah, 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 around middle of the pack, which is fine. I mean, I'd like it to be even less if possible. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a fair question to ask of how much how much is pro- like process and approach and how much of it is just having better players because they're clearly better offensively this season than they were in the than they were in their first year. Yeah, just I, you know, you, you you hit the nail on the head a few minutes ago. Like you just have the better forwards. You don't have to rely on taking long shots and hoping for the odd deflection or rebound. I I hate that kind of offense. I hate that kind of half court offense that I don't think it works. I think when it does, it looks stupid. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Who is just you know not to put you on the spot here, but but which which players were most at fault? Because I'm I'm just thinking about which defenseman they had last year, and I'm not you know I'm not really coming to mind of any. Like, I think it was pretty much know. everyone. Although yeah. I, like I think Mark Giordano was certainly shooting much yeah. more than he should have, but I, I think it was across the board. I think a lot of their game plan was let's cycle the puck up to the point yeah. and hammer it as hard as we can and hope that it bounces in. Yeah, that low to and high. that's that's not a real that's a that's a hope plan. That's not like an actual. I hate low to high and I hate point shots, but yeah, just kind of fun, you know, funneling into the middle, uh, letting your defensemen work down below the hash marks, have players send pucks in the middle. I think that's just the better way to do it. Well, and that's reflected in the team yeah. shot chart. Yeah, you look at how they're like where their shots are coming from at five on five. Last year, it was a startling amount of blue on the heat map. Yeah, it was like left point. Blue means bad. Blue man, blue means bad. Red means good. There was no red anywhere to be found where you'd actually hope to see it, mm-hmm. except for in the left point, like right by the blue line, yeah. where they were like the the lowest percentage possible shot, the most inefficient shot you can take in hockey. I think yeah. this year, it's still not great by any means, but I find it interesting that they're like inching more and more in towards the middle of the ice, in between the two dots, which is the most premium real estate in the offensive zone. Mm-hmm. I think if you can consistently find a way to get shots in there, like that's that's typically the hardest part to get into. The defense is generally pretty good at sniffing that out and having someone there at least with a stick to prevent you from getting shots off. And the reason why I bring that up is because one of the guys they brought in this offseason is Oliver Bjorkstrand, who has profiled as one of the best players in the league at getting there time and time again throughout his years in Columbus, 
and he's doing so yet again here in Seattle. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get to the Columbus Blue Jackets deep dive because we have the... Uh, with, the know, with the good vibes requirement? With, with yeah. good vibes requirement. But just thinking back to their offseason, and, you know, we saw that we saw that video of of how the how the Jackets basically got into the Johnny Gaudreau sweepstakes because they signed his friend Eric Branson. Of course. However, in doing so, they, it forced them to get rid of Oliver, Borkstrand, Oliver Bjorkstrand for basically nothing. Yes. Would you trade Bjorkstrand for Goodbranson and Gaudreau straight up? And I don't. I frankly don't know if I would. I think he's been he's been that effective, not only at five on five, but also on special teams for the te- for this team. He's one of the he's one of the really good middle guys on the power play. Yeah. For one, uh, we saw the Columbus power play was so much more efficient when the offense ran through him when Patrick Lyon was hurt last year, and now we're seeing at five on five that. This is the top line. This is the best line that Seattle has. This is a dominant puck possession line with Alex Wenberg and Andre Barakowski. Yeah, I'd say that was, you know, we, we talked pretty glowingly last week about the John Marino trade for the Devils and how they were able to steal him from the Penguins. Uh, Bjork Strand for a third and a fourth mm-hmm. is, is as good as it gets, especially when you consider that he's under contract at what, 5.4 million for his age 27 to 30 seasons, and he's. A legitimate top line winger. We always joke about, oh, is, is Sasha Barkov the most underrated player in the league? It's like, no, I think yeah. people are familiar with how good Sasha Barkov is. Oliver Bjorkstrand probably has been and continues to be the correct answer for most underrated player in the league because no one talks about him. I was, he's legitimately very good. But just as an as an aside, I thought it was funny. I was watching the Hurricanes Leafs game and Jacob Slavin was uh, brought up as one oh of the most one of the most underrated players in hockey. Yeah. I yeah. don't think he is at this point. No, people know who Jacob Slavin is. I hope so. If they're following the right people. Yeah. So Bjork's trying this season, leads the Kraken with 57 5 on 5 shot attempts, mm-hmm. which is 13th most in the league. By my count, 26 of those 57 have come from that home plate area mm-hmm. that we like to talk about, the inner slot and kind of between yeah. the dots. Has zero goals so far, remarkably. Uh, I think those, those are coming yeah. because he's also 13th in 5 on 5 goals the past three seasons prior to this one so tied with players like Goudreau who you mentioned mm-hmm. actually funny enough and William Nylander Matthew Kachuk like the list goes on and on of like elite bonafide top line players which is what Bjorkstrand is himself and so that's coming and so I think the impact that he that he's had on this team's offense in terms of getting to those areas and being able to manufacture shots from those regions that's an element that they just did not have last year and I think you know, regardless of what happens with the shooting percentage, whether they keep, especially on the power of play, converting as high of a percentage of shots as they have so far, clearly this team's game plan offensively is significantly more refined than it was last year. And I think that is very encouraging. Well, also with that line in particular, they're not just, you know, it's not just the offensive potential that you get for from from these shot attempts in this possession. It's that you're keeping the other team out of your defensive zone. And that was a big, you know, that's also a big problem if you have a poor if you have a poor defensive goaltending, if you can spend as much time the other end of the ice as possible and win pucks, cycle the puck, and you know not give up possession easily on those point shots, and just kind of work to funnel it into the middle of the ice as you're talking about, yep. just creates you know it creates a lot more opportunity, and it also it also forces your 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 opposition to to spend 20, 30 second increments on the other side of the ice, and and these are good you know these he's playing against good competition as well. He's, so- I'm curious for your take on this then. Okay. How like how much of this is, is chicken versus the egg in terms of that offensive game plan? Where is it the type of thing where if you have better players, 
they sort of naturally or innately get to those dangerous spots on the ice and so they're going to make that happen or is it possible do you think for a coach or a team that has a plan to sort of diagram up or scheme up good looks for their team even if they don't necessarily have the personnel to do so in terms of having a, a plan of this is where we want to get the puck now it might not always work and if you don't have talented passers and talented players you might not be able to pull it off as effectively but do you think you can actually sort of scheme up where you're shooting from in the offensive zone or do you think it is much more sort of random and you just need good players to accomplish it i think it's both uh i think good players are going to find are going to find good spots well they're good for a reason yeah Yeah. they are and they and they have that they have that 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 in inherent offensive awareness you know they've been playing this game since they were five years old they know where to you know they know where to stand they know where the you know they know historically where they've gotten goals from i don't think they need to be told to you know they don't need to be given a map to the middle of the ice what a coach what a good coach can do though what a good you know it just like you, you talk about a good breakout scheme how it can create space in the neutral zone you can create those opportunities in transition can you can encourage your players to be aggressive and to hit those spaces you're basically looking for ways to create space and mis- and mismatches in not only the neutral zone but also the offensive zone and you're creating these false two on ones in just these certain areas of the ice um i think but i think eventually you just need good players to, to know execute how to do that, that plan yeah. yeah yeah i think so i i do i do yeah. think like having a like a, a general philosophy though because yeah. we've seen teams that have more talent kind of be undone by having poor strategy as well yeah. right like I, I think you kind of need you need yeah. both but but uh, and i also think that there aren't too many forwards that spend a lot of time shooting from the perimeters either i think that most of the time a forward's taking a shot it's they're trying to get as close to the scoring area as possible and most shooters most forwards, and anyway, you're going to see their shot map is going to be reflected in that. You're not going to have a lot of guys that take the majority of their shots from the outside. They're all trying to work it in the middle. Defenseman's a little bit different because, you know, the incentives are a little bit different. <laughs> you know, they like to shoot for deflections and rebounds. We've watched enough games of Jeff Petrie and Brent Burns this year. We uh, we don't need to yes. talk about them anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I actually kind of want to save Maddie Beneers for our when we come back from break because that's going to be like a full section i don't want to i don't okay. want to pause that halfway through okay do you want to talk a little bit about shane right here because i think that, that that's been a big topic of discussion right mm-hmm. it's like all right he's playing about eight minutes per game yeah then they healthy scratch him for a handful of games there then jared mccann goes out of the lineup so they have a more natural spot to kind of put him in down the middle and play him in the lineup and i guess i think him against minnesota he even played like 13 or so minutes um i think it's it's a pretty tough spot in the sense that he's such a clear candidate to be just playing as much as possible at the AHL level. And yeah. because of the current situation, he is not eligible to do so. And so I don't, I think it's almost kind of as simple as that because I think the natural inclination is to say, Oh, the Seattle team struggled so much last year offensively. And then they get this guy they get this talent. They should just be playing him as much as they can and, and seeing what they have in him and seeing and developing him. That should be the focus of the season. But then you look at the actual depth chart and when they're healthy, it's a pretty good forward group. Like it's it's not necessarily the most impressive list of names, but they have yeah. twelve good NHL so, forwards. Like who is he replacing? They have Yanni Gord, yeah, and Brandon Tanev on the third line. And well, and you know we've we've talked a little bit about their scoring being better, and their their three point leaders, uh, their three point rate leaders at five on five this year are, I think Connor Geeky, Yanni Gord, and Daniel Sprong. I think yeah, Morgan Geeky. Who'd I say? Connor Geeky. 
right? So prospect, yeah. Okay. Different, ge- different geeky, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like there, there's not an obvious place for him in the lineup to fit. And a lot of times where a team will be in the draft lottery and pick a player that's good enough for the NHL, they have that spot available. Right. Because they're, they haven't added Burakovsky, right. Bjorkstrand, and essentially Beniers in the offseason. Yeah. Um, Not to mention, like, Jaden Schwartz is finally healthy and he right. was out for a lot of last year. Yeah, like, they have a good forward group. And, yeah, and, you know, to be honest, I mentioned this on Twitter, the CHL-NHL agreement sucks. And yeah. it sucks for this particular purpose because there's nothing, there's really no reason for for the Kraken to have Shane Wright in the lineup for more than eight minutes a night. It's This isn't a developmental league, and this is a team that is clearly on the cusp of competing. And they're going to be... As it looks like right now, they're going to be in a playoff race. Yeah. And you can't really waste your time or spend those precious minutes developing players. He should be playing in Palm Springs right now. He should be a Coachella Valley Firebird. And there's really no reason for him to have to go back to junior. He's done enough in the in the Ontario League. He needs to be learning. He needs to be playing on that pro scale, learning how to be a pro learning yeah, you know yeah, and just kind of like integrating integrating himself with the system yeah learning the coach you know no like being with the development staff every day mm-hmm. being with the coaches talking with the coaches all the time and you can't do that if you're in junior so it, so we're kind of stuck with him being a healthy scratch when the, when his relatives are in town but as you said if you put him in the lineup when the team is healthy he's just knocking off a player that's been more productive and i haven't you know i frankly haven't seen enough of right in the nhl to i don't think anyone has well yeah you know <laughs> i think that's well, i think that's why we're talking about this and i think you know in the games he has played i've been right. keeping i've been keeping an eye out because i want you know i want to see what he's been doing what he's able to do at this level yes and i haven't i don't really have a read on him i haven't i don't know if he's playing well or poorly because he you know we're only seeing him like eight minutes a night but it's impossible to yeah. evaluate exactly like i, I think yeah. i said this on the podcast i'm not sure if it was you or someone else so sorry yeah. if i'm repeating myself here but like this is like a big concept for Dale Belfry when he works with his players, especially young players. It's de- it's devising ways to manufacture puck touches for them. Yeah, and like to for especially for a young skilled player, you need to have the puck on your stick because that's what you're best at to make plays in that regard. It's like you can't you can't take a young guy, put him on the fourth line where he's playing in real time, like goes out every five minutes or so for a shift, and yeah. he's out there for thirty seconds, and his task is to dump the puck in, kind of throw a body check and get back off the ice so the other players can go on and and do something with the puck. And that's a really tough position to put a young player in. Of course, it's going to be impossible to evaluate them. They're going to be unhappy. They're going to struggle. And so I guess the point I'm making is that's clearly not the solution, but you're right. They don't necessarily have a natural spot. Now with with Jared McCann out, yeah, it makes sense. That's actually a perfect spot for him to be insulated by Yanni Gord and Brandon Tanev on his wings. That's great. That's an awesome spot for his development. And and then you can ease him in that way. But unfortunately, when they're healthy and when Jeremy McCann's back, he's not playing ahead of him in the lineup at this point of his career. So I don't I don't know what that solution is. And and the the only loser of that CHL agreement is the player. Though there's a lot of losers in the CHL NHL agreement. And this like this, I'll be talking about this a lot, I think, <laughs> over the next year or two. Right. It's until they can until they restructure it to allow CHLers to play in the AHL when the, when they've clearly passed the passed the point where they need the the Canadian Hockey League. It's, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't make sense for it. It's not even good for, like it's not even good for the OHL to have right in Kingston. Like 
it's he's not he's not like driving ticket sales. <laughs> if he is, then the league has a big problem. Yeah. So, but what you know, I think later when we talk about Beniers, where I'm going to get back into that whole development. You know, NHL is a developmental league and mm. letting players kind of learn from themselves. Wright isn't a player at the caliber where you can kind of let him, where you can give him a lot of slack. You know, you have to give him one or two touches a shift and really restrict it 30s, 40 seconds max. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good plug for the Matty Beneers conversation we're going to have here after the break. Let's take a quick break here, put a pin in the conversation, and then when we come back, we'll do just that. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We are back here on the Hockey PDO cast doing our Seattle Kraken deep dive with Cam Sharon. Cam, we've been teasing at it all show so far. Let's talk about Matty Beneers. Matty B. Just turned 20 over the weekend. Shout out to a, to a fellow Scorpio in Matty Beneers. Um, five goals, four assists so far. Seven of those nine points have come at 5-on-5. Five five. You know, it's interesting. We spoke about his shot. You highlighted him as a player you were really excited to watch this season in the first show we did here on the PDO cast to start the season. There's a players we're excited to watch. And you kind of highlighted his shot in particular, and we spoke, which I think aged pretty well in terms of how the Kraken needed to create better looks. And he gave them sort of an avenue for for doing so, especially with his finishing ability. I'd actually, just watching all of his shifts back today, I'd like to see him be a bit more selfish, actually, at 5-on-5. It feels like he is so um, kind of in in the weeds of being like like a, a true number one center and kind of getting everyone involved that he's taking a back seat sometimes where I wouldn't like to see him do so. And I, I'd like him to be a bit more selfish in that regard because he's got yeah. one hell of a shot. And, you know, so far this season at five on five, he's shooting less frequently than Alex Wemberg, who is like one of the most pass heavy players that, since he's been in the league. I think Wemberg's only hit 100 shots in a season once in his eight-year career, and he's shooting more often than Beneers so far. And it's not for a lack of having the puck or having opportunities to do so. It's more so he's kind of passing it off sometimes where he probably should be taking it. And so I know we always talk about how we want, we don't mind players being unselfish when they're trying to turn a good shot into a great shot, but there's times where he's such a good shooter that I'd like to see him just grip and rip because I think that would help open up more spaces for him. Yeah. Uh, just just thinking about what you're saying here, um, and it, like at the start of the year, when I talked about Beniers, I was really excited to see him with Jared McCann on the on the other wing, and that hasn't happened. Yeah, Beniers has actually stru- really struggled in possession when he's been off that when he's been off uh, or not not in between Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Eberle, and both of them have experience playing with pretty good centermen in their careers. Uh, they're both you know veteran wingers that can work with them up the ice, and I think Eberle is probably a little bit more used to being kind of the finisher on a line because he played. So much with Maddie Barzell in, or on uh, just exclusively plays with Maddies. Yeah, he he loves those Maddies. Yeah, but yeah, I think you're right, and I, I was actually really surprised looking at it looking at it earlier today is how low his shot rate is. Yeah, and you want I don't know if I want to see him be more selfish because I think a player breaking in over the line and taking a shot even if even if it's from a good area, the goalie's really able to, to you know the goalie's set the goalie can can accept that shot. It has to be a pretty good release. Because you're looking at medium distance, yeah. So you you know you're gonna you know just just back at the envelope math here, you're gonna 
score about one of those goals every 20 times. And you get four or five zone entries a game. So that's a goal every five games. Yeah. Versus coming in, passing it across, cutting to the net. I think it's less that I want to see Maddie be more selfish and more that I think Schwartz and Eberly need to start kind of thinking about being a playmaker and 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 thinking less about finishing and I and we're going to talk about it a little bit later his his you know Matt's playmaking ability yeah but you know what, what like how are Schwartz and Eberle going to find him in those good spots along the flank not just in the middle of the ice but along the flank places where you can really beat a goalie yeah I guess I was bringing that up just because I, I I saw him a few times pass up good opportunities to actually shoot um to kind of defer and you're right. That's probably a better way to frame it. I'd like to see them find a way to get him more mm-hmm. shots because that shot is such a weapon. Now, at the same time, I've been highly impressed by the playmaking chops he's already shown because, you know, coming in, I, I knew the shot would be good. I knew the motor and sort of like how, how hard he competes and sort of how he's always involved. I knew that would be there. I had no concerns about that. I didn't know necessarily how he'd profile at the NHL level in terms of making others better, mm-hmm. getting them the puck in great spaces. And, I mean, he had a game against the Penguins recently. I think it was the first time they played at home where he set up about three or four absolute grade-A chances for his teammates. And he's been showing a lot more of that than I expected in the early going so far. And, I mean, if you're going to combine that with all the other things we love about his game, I mean, that's going to be an unreal offensive player. Can we get into the other things we like about his game then? Yeah, these are all the sort of these are all the yeah. glamorous sort of you know you gotta you gotta mention the shot you gotta mention the passing. What's your what's your other favorite part about his game? Well, this is gonna sound absolutely ridiculous, but I've you know I'm very you know I've been I was very familiar and I watch Austin Matthews grow from being a rookie into being who he is today, and I see a lot of a young Austin Matthews in Matt Beniers. A lot of it have just how good he is in tight spaces, especially in the defensive zone, how he's always looking to make a play to break the puck out with control. I think it would be so easy. I think we t- like, we talked a lot about this a little bit with Shane Wright, how the NHL is in a developmental league. But it's really nice that the Kraken are kind of letting Beniers make that occasional mistake in the defensive zone just by also allowing him to make those plays, which goes you know, you know which goes to set up more rushes and more offense for the team going the other way. Yeah. And he can he can make those little plays. He can he's not he's not afraid of evading a four checker on his own, or or even using the body. He's not that big of a guy, right. uh, you know. That that's I think the big difference is Matthews is a much bigger player than he was at that age. But Beniers certainly doesn't play like a hundred and seventy five pound player. He lo- like he has a he has kind of this swagger and bigness about him on the ice. He's uh, th- there's the one play from uh, from Saturday where he kind of poked the puck. Uh, passive Genny Malkin yeah. at the at the point just kind of blew by him and set up a two on one. And Malkin's, you know, not a weak player. Well he didn't even blow by him. He like yeah. he collided with him yeah. and came out ahead in that situation, which is pretty rare because Malkin's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know looking at Benier's size, I was actually quite surprised right. to see uh to see how, how how light he is on his feet. But and you know they I think the other thing too is just you know just that that offensive instinct as well. It's not just the shot, but it's also that that ability to finish in tight. And that winning goal he had against the Flames last week, he from that really tough angle, just you know, to get it to elevate that over the goalie's left pad over the Vladar's left pad there, just to the top of the net. That was a fantastic finish from a really, really tight angle. Yeah. Yeah, his game's already so mature. Yeah. Like the 
the support he provides, you mentioned deep in the defensive zone where he's sort of a pressure relief valve for his defenseman. He goes back and he gets the puck. Um, it seems like he's always picking someone up off the puck as well. Like he's very attentive and alert to what's going on around him on the ice. Like you'll rarely ever see him kind of just gliding around in the defensive zone aimlessly. Yeah. Like he's very diligent about his center responsibilities. And there was a play in the, like in the Flames game where I believe like Blake Coleman kind of came in out of nowhere off a of broken play and seemed like he was going to have a great one-time opportunity right in the inner slot. And Beneers kind of sniffed it out and got there. And I don't know if he stick-lifted him or kind of just like knocked him off his stride enough to, to prevent a scoring chance there. And so I really like seeing stuff like that. He's always kind of engaged in these one-on-ones. You mentioned the the Matthews comp to me mm. earlier, and I, I I was kind of struggling with it because I've already seen Beneers this year skate out of his zone, like hitting a gear in terms of speed that already puts him above in terms of just like how fast he can look when he's moving with the puck. It feels like it's not the Matt- pretty it's not the prettiest stride though. But, no, but it, but, but, he's, but he's once fast. he gets yeah. going, like yeah. he covers a lot of ground. Yeah, um, and he's already broken it up time and time, or broken it out of the zone like that. Um, and, I, and I love we were talking about puck touches earlier with Shane Wright. I mean, clearly he's getting the opportunity in terms of ice time, but when he's out there, he's not kind of like tentatively just waiting for the puck to come to him, yeah. especially in his own zone. Like he'll go and he'll get it, yeah. and he's always involved in the play. And I know, I know you don't necessarily love looking at penalties drawn as much as I do. I, do I, think, I just think I that think I, just, I think that officiating is random, which is my only thing. If if, but he's, I do like the he's idea. Played, he's played yeah. twenty three games yeah. at the NHL level so far between this year and last. Yeah, he's drawn nine penalties and he's been whistled for none himself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to necessarily know. continue. I'm sure he's going to wind up taking some penalties, and we'll see as his career goes along how many more he's going to draw. But I think in terms of his speed and how hard he is on the puck and all that, like some of I think that is a translatable skill, and if it is, that's clearly such, like such a net positive for his team to give them those opportunities to play with a man up. It's also like the just the volume of puck touches he gets as well, and and you're right about how he's he's always looking to do something. Yeah. He's always he's looking to make the play happen as opposed to waiting the waiting for the play to come to him, and that's something about Austin Matthews's game that I that I've I kind of noticed in him, where he's just when he's on the ice, you really notice he's on the ice. It's tough to it's. It's tough to you can't ignore him out there because he's doing something in all three zones, and so he if you know if you're going to have the puck on your stick a lot, you're going to draw a lot of penalties and just that ability to kind of have that defense you know the zero penalties against is more impressive to me because because right. he's involved it's not he's, for a lack yeah, of trying he, right <laughs> he's involved defensively and we're you know this is you know he has the makings of a guy that's going to be a top ten goal scorer that gets some selkie votes and those guys are really tough to find. Seattle got a good one here. This, yeah. I'm really excited about him. I mean, being a young center in the NHL, I do believe is like is really tough. It's not one of those things that's that's like over over talked about. Like, yeah. and listen, like he's for example, he's getting worked in the faceoff circle quite a bit yeah. right now. Like he's not doing well in that regard. I think that's like a very natural thing that happens in a young player's development. He has to learn the tricks of the trade, and that'll come with time. But a lot of these other little details that he's already shown so far that motor, like how hard he competes and how involved he is. I think that stuff already like puts him so ahead of the curve. And as a, t- a freshly turned 20 year old center, like he's already so far ahead of where we at. I think we had any, any realistic reason to believe he'd be at right. Whenever a player gets drafted that high, I think there's, there's certainly going to be certain fans that are just expect, Oh, let's pencil him in. He's going to be an all-star. He's going to do this. this and he's that. Like sometimes that stuff takes time and he's already shown so much more 
in the early going of his NHL career than I, I thought he would. Like I thought he'd get there eventually, but it would take him some time to do so. And and he's kind of they've thrown him in the deep end, yeah. and he's swimming just fine. Yeah, and you know you talk about that that All Star status, and we're gonna have an All Star game this year, and I can't think of anyone else on the crack at that. Well, you you'd of course mentioned Bjorkstrand. Of course, Bjorkstrand. Yeah. yeah, but I think that Beniers is is the natural fit to represent the Kraken at the All-Star game in Florida this year. I yep. think it's in Florida. Either way, like I, I don't think that that's the thing that really matters uh, when, you know, All-Star games, because a lot of players miss them, but it's a testament to just how quickly he's become not just someone who looks really good for at 20 years old, but just an overall top 15 center in the game yeah. at 20 years old. Right. And there aren't, a, there aren't a lot of centers I'd take ahead of him right now. Yeah. Yeah, I and I can't wait to see how the rest of the season goes for him. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a good good way to wrap up our deep dive of the Seattle Kraken. Was there anything else on this team that you thought was worth mentioning or while we're still here? Um I'd like to see them shoot a little bit more on the penalty kill actually. They're on uh, the penalty kill? Yeah, well they're they're sixth uh, lowest in pen, in PK shots for, but they are fifth in PK shots against. This is per natural stat trick. They're, they've actually been giving up quite a few goals on the PK at five on four or uh, four on five. I want to see them. Uh, I want to see them spend a little bit less time in the defensive zone and defending yeah, and more yeah. uh, trying to create stuff. Yeah, pressure down ice, and I think that that's the way to go about it. I I don't like I don't like passive penalty kills. Yeah. So go go after it. Yeah, we agree there. Yeah. Um, okay, that's all I had on the Kraken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we should mention. I think last week we were talking. We were going to do. A deep dive of the Boston Bruins. Yeah. Today on this on uh, the yeah. adopt the series, and um, you know I can only speak for myself. I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. But like for me, like quite frankly, it just didn't feel right to to sit here and do a glowing review of their on ice performance. And I think at the time we were, we were doing it, they were like ten and one or something. Yeah. And so just sit here and celebrate it after what they did this weekend in trying to sign Mitchell Miller. Like it just didn't I don't know it didn't sit right with me. So that's kind of why we pivoted and we decided to do the Kraken instead. I'm curious what your thoughts on Yeah, and I I didn't hesitate to to agree with you when, yeah. you when you mentioned that to me. Even though we, you know, I did quite a bit more prep for the Bruins than I was able to do yeah. for the Kraken. But that's, and I, you know, it's, it's, I felt, I kind of feel bad for the player. Like, obviously there's a lot of people that, that were impacted by this signing. Yeah. Um, but I do feel bad for the players as well because they kind of had to, they have to live with the mistakes that, their management staff made and Patrice Bergeron's playing well. Hampus Lindholm's having a fantastic year. And I loved, you know, we'd love to be able to, to talk about that, but it just felt, you're right. It felt really toned up to discuss that because there's so much stuff going around the Bruins right now. Well, I, I thought, you know, when you mentioned the players, I thought you were going to say like, I, I thought it was cool to hear them yeah. speak up. Yeah. In one voice and, against, and actually yeah. like stand up for what's right yeah. and show some morality as opposed to what hockey has been like in the yeah. past where everyone's kind of, you know, you tell the company line, you'd be a team player, you know, all that, and just stay silent even if there's something clearly problematic going on. And so I thought it was pretty cool to yeah to see, like, Felino's comments and Bergeron's and, and Marchand's and so on and so forth. Yeah, and, F- and Felino isn't a guy that's been there for so long. Like, right. Bergeron and Marchand, carries, of course. carries that yeah. gravitas, yeah. though, as a veteran. Right? And, and it's great because, he, well, and it's great that he, you know, he's, he knows that he has the support of the people in, of, in that dressing room to be able to have comments like that. So I don't want to spend too much time on it because this is, you well, know. I did want to acknowledge yeah, it, right? Like yeah, exactly. it, it would have felt also just to yeah. ignore it and pretend like everything is okay as well. It would, yeah. would have kind of sucked on our part. I, I well, like one final thing I do want to say on is I, I, like we've been around hockey quite a while. I feel like we actually, like you and I first connected 
very early into my mm-hmm. media career. Like, what was that, like 2011 maybe or yeah. so, when we both started working for Canucks Army? You were already there at the time. You are already a, a media veteran by then. Um, but, you know, I've been around the NHL for a long time, and, like, I'm generally pretty cynical about the way, like, this league conducts its business and and, yeah. and everything involved in that and how if you contribute on the ice or you're deemed to be valuable in that regard as a player – Teams are just like willing to overlook yeah. transgressions off the ice, and the bottom line is all that matters. And I'm cynical about that already. And when this news came out on Friday, like I was, I was genuinely stunned. And then just seeing all the reports come out about how badly they handled everything, from not talking to the victim's family to not consulting with the league about whether he'd even be eligible to not yeah. asking their own players how, what they thought about it or not valuing their opinions enough if they did. Um, I just, what the Bruins did, like from start to finish in terms of their handling of it was even for my cynical brain, just blew, like blew my mind. And I was like, I didn't even think these lows were possible. Yeah. And you think that just for how much weight, uh, in the organization Patrice Bergeron has, how long he's been there, how he's one of the most valuable captains in the, in the league for, uh, for a player personnel decision that so clearly affects the culture of the dressing room. That he wasn't consulted at all. I think that that's. I think the Bruins have a lot to to think about about the way they go about these decisions. And um, you know, we said it. Credit, credit to the players for uh, for doing for credit to the players for doing this. And yeah, I've, you know, I spent eight years in NHL front office. I saw like there's a lot of things they kind of have to plug your ears and look the other way for, yeah. and just kind of hope that hope that you provide you know smarter. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope to, yeah. yeah hope more, the future generations are going to be better. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it just, yeah. It sucks that it happened. It sucks that you know yeah. old trauma was dug up and a lot of people were hurt, yeah. and uh, it was very easily avoidable. And so I, I didn't want to, yeah, let them off the hook. And I'm glad no one else is because I feel like they probably thought. I, I imagine this was something that you could just, oh, you know, for a couple of days of bad PR, and then yeah, it'll blow over, and then everyone will move on. And and I'm glad that that's not what happened here. Um, okay, we've got about five more minutes here on the PDO cast before we have to sign off. Um, another part of our Monday shows here are going through the schedule and looking at games we're interested in, in for the coming week and kind of going, going day by day and highlighting some stuff for people to watch. Cam, what's, uh, what's first on your list? I'm not actually, I'm not going to be watching any hockey tonight. None <laughs> of the games really appeal to me. <laughs> watching, you watching Monday night football? I might be watching some Monday night football. Tuesday we get the uh, this back half of the home and home between Calgary and New Jersey. Oh yeah, and the first game was <clears throat> was an awesome game. Yeah, on Saturday night that was a really fun one. I mean, I, I would say that about every game involving the New Jersey Devils right now, based on the way they're playing. But I thought the Flames were a good foil for for them. I spent my night watching one of the worst hockey games I've ever seen. The Canucks spreads, right? Yes. Do you want? To, what, what were your thoughts on that game? It was the worst. Blow, hockey. Blow it I, down. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That was. It was a travesty. Both teams played to lose, and one of them succeeded. That's that's all I have to say about that one. So you're watching these games for the purposes of tracking them for your site, right? Yeah. Which doesn't include shootouts. You you, you know how it ended, right? I do know how okay. it ended. Okay. <laughs> it, it was like it got, your tracking might have been it might have been bad. It got yeah. even yeah. better or worse depending on what your mind. Well, I don't I don't track shootout attempts. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But I did have to watch. I did have. To, that was also the first time I watched a sing like a three on three and been like miserable. Through the entire... Well, the final, I don't know how many minutes of that game, like, you could have told me that during a break, 
the coaches literally shook hands and were like, yeah. let's each get a point here tonight. Like there was no interest in either team. I don't know if it was interest or, or capability, but neither team seemed able to, really? I to don't, score. I don't yeah. want to talk about this anymore. Um, all right, Tuesday night then. Tuesday's a busy one. So we got Calgary yeah. and New Jersey. And then uh, we have the Ooh, rematch. Edmonton at Tampa Bay. Well, no, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking ahead too. Is that the the late game, the re, the rematch of the Wild, That's right. Wild and Kings matchup from earlier this year that ended 7-6 for the Kings. Yep. So we, that'll be, we have a rematch in Los Angeles. Uh, the Minnesota's going through California this week. So yeah. those are, you know, the, the California teams, uh, two of them are, one of them's good. All of, all of them are watchable. One of them's good. One of them is Eric Carlson. Yeah. And the other one exists. The other one is Troy Terry. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I th- I'm, I still believe in, in our Ducks from a watchability standpoint. I do too. But it's been, it's been unfortunate to watch it so far. Um, okay, so Wednesday. I'm looking ahead to Thursday. Yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays really are the yeah are the breadwinners here for us. I think. Yeah, I have a sneaky pick for you on Thursday. That is, I know what it is because you told me. But tell the listeners: the Arizona Coyotes at the, I believe, league leading uh, goal scoring team, New York Islanders. That is amazing. Uh, I'm looking that up right now just to fact check because I know it was true at one point. Yeah. Nope, it is not true anymore. Oh, that's... But here's what I will give you. Here's a good stat. The Islanders are fourth in five-on-five offense. Yeah. The Coyotes, unsurprisingly, give up the most five-on-five offense. Yeah. So I think there's going to be some goals in that game. Yeah. Scored by the New York <laughs> Scored by the Islanders. <laughs> and watch. Now it's going to be a, it's yeah. be a great, just, great just... Coyotes. I believe also, is that the first? No, the Coyotes start this week before that. They're st- yeah, they play at, at Buffalo on on Tuesday. Yeah, this is they're starting their. It's the rematch of the 2015 Connor McDavid Bowl. Yeah, but I was gonna say they're starting their like how many games is it? 14, 15, or 16? It's like some ungodly amount of yeah. consecutive road games while they wait for access to their home rink. <laughs> at least this one will have a dressing room. Yeah, Saturday is also looking really good. By the way, it has a uh, because we have four different blocks of games. Claude Giroux returns to Philadelphia. We have a uh, Matthew Kachuk after. Serving his long and deserved suspension. Yeah. Gets back in the lineup to play Edmonton. Mm-hmm. That'll be a good game. Ed, uh, Edmonton, Florida is the afternoon game. And then we have, uh, you know, take your pick from the from the 7 p.m. and the 10 p.m. games. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be, I mean, I, I feel like Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays generally yeah. deliver. The other nights you can you can make dinner reservations. Yeah. You can, you can plan other stuff. Um, all right. What do you got to plug? What do I have to plug? I have my website, yep. camshaw.com, for uh, Vancouver Canucks and Toronto Maple Leafs post-game analysis. Mm-hmm. They, those posts used to go up the morning after the games, and now they're kind of, they've kind of made their way to the afternoons. Uh, it takes me a long time to go through each one. Right. And uh, I had a piece at The Athletic on Friday, I think, about why score effects exist. Mm-hmm. What exactly is happening during the game that makes the leading team start to give up shots and what makes the trailing team start to take more shots? What exactly is the, what exactly is happening on the ice? Why does it happen other than psychology and other than, oh, well, you're being conservative. And how much, how much of it do you think realistically we're talking about that chicken or the egg in terms of offensive approach? How much of that do you think could be controlled by an enterprising head coach that was actively trying to fight against those, those psychological elements? Well, 
considering the Colorado Avalanche are really good at yeah. avoiding score I effects. Possible, I think right? quite a bit. I think that it's it all comes down to what your approach is going to be. Well, it's, ri- it's like risk tolerance, Yeah, I think, right? Yeah, you have to be okay. You know, do, like playing to win means you have to. I watched, uh, by the way, just to throw it out here and credit to Andy Reid, we watched uh, a football game last night. Yeah. And fourth and one in overtime right. in field goal range, and Kansas City goes for it. Because yeah. it, because scoring a touchdown wins the game, and then winds up kicking anyway. Well, they wind up ki- they wind up kicking on fourth and ten after, but yeah. scoring the touchdown wins the game. I think it, I think in any situation you have to play to win. I think color that's one of the reasons why Colorado did win. One of the reasons why the Canucks lost Saturday night is you have to go out and play the and play to win. You have to go out and take the game. Yeah, you can't just let wins happen. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with that. And yeah. yet, uh, I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time, and it mm-hmm. still keeps. Still keeps happening, so we'll see. Um, all right. Well, this was a blast, Cam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be back next Monday with uh, with another adopted team series. We'll see. I-, I like the idea of waiting to actually see how the team plays. Yeah. And I think we're we're preferring the format of when a team plays three games. It gives us like a nice sample of games to kind of dive into mm-hmm. and discuss. And so whoever performs well this week, we- I had some requests for doing like a blues deep dive to figure out what's going on with them. And we can, I'm sure we're going to get to them at some point here. Um, but I feel like this is like the start off the week. It should be the kind of like a fun show where we're, for, for those of you who can't see Dimitri's face when he mentioned the blues, he looked like a disappointed father. I, I am. I, I talked them up a lot, yeah. uh, since last season and, uh, it's been a rough go of it here so far. It got off to a great start. Uh, yes. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to the PDO cast. If you enjoyed Please, as always, help us out by smashing that five-star button wherever you listen to the show. And we're going to be back with more this week. So until then, thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO Cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.